You know, there were some things that were easier. I, I'm a child of the 80s and 90s. Anyone else? And there were just some things that were easier. You know how you knew if you were friends with someone in the 80s and 90s? Um, you gave or received one of these. It was so easy. If you could learn to make one of these, you were golden. You had all the friends you needed. By the way, there was, a, there was one level higher in this one great micro-like season of my life where these worked too. Um, I don't know if you remember what these are, but these were safety pins with tiny beads on them. And you'd like do your own design and you trade them with your friend and you put them on your shoe. And if you had like a million of them, it meant you had a million friends. And it was just so easy to like walk around with like your shoes showing how many friends you had. It was just such an easy way to be friends. And by the way, the pinnacle, the hype, the Mount Everest of being a friend in the 80s and 90s was one of these. If you could have a best friends necklace, right? And they were broken in half, and one half said best, and the other half said friends. And you had someone out there who was wearing the other half of your necklace. You had reached, like, friendship, like, the, you, were, you were excellent. You were in, like, major league friendship territory. That was easy. It is very hard these days. By the way, if you want to know how hard it is, ask a teenager. You could even ask one of them. Ask them what best friends on Snapchat are, or BFS or Snapchats, or like ultimate best friends for a million years with two hearts instead of one. I don't know, it's impossible to like discern. It's a whole other language. But it's way harder now. It's way harder to make friends. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you've been following the statistics that have been coming out, but we actually know that friendships are on the decline. As a matter of fact, people report having fewer friends than ever. Um, In 1990, the Gallup organization um, did a a survey on adult friendships, and it found that 47% of U.S. adults reported having six or more close friendships. As a matter of fact, the majority of adults in 1990 said that they had, I think it's 13 or more, 10 or more, had 10 or more friendships. That number is down to 25% now who have three or more close friends. As a matter of fact, it's flipped so much that 49% of U.S. adults, so almost 50%, almost half of all U.S. adults say they have three or fewer close friends. 12%, you guys, 12% of U.S. adults report having no close friends at all. It's a four times increase in 30 years, in 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 three decades. There is a a friendship crisis. It's not just crisis. It's not just adults. It's teenagers, too, and students, too. It's just harder to make and keep friends now. It's way more complicated. People have fewer friends. They have a a less depth of intimacy in their friendships, and this goes along. The flip side of that coin has to do, um, you may have been reading about this, too, what, what we're now describing as the loneliness epidemic that even um, health organizations are warning us that people are lonely to an extent that it's detrimental to their, to their actual health and functioning in the world. I read um, that one-third of American adults, one-third of American adults rep- report feeling seriously lonely frequently, almost all of the time, or all of the time. That includes 51% of mothers with young children report feeling seriously lonely frequently, almost all of the time or all of the time. And by the way, that number jumps to 61% or almost two-thirds of people age 18 to 25 report that they feel seriously lonely frequently, almost all of the time or all of the time. We have a crisis. 
I've seen it. I think it's a crisis. I think the lack of intimate relationships, intimate friendships in our culture today is a big problem. And I've seen it over my career. I've been working with students for almost 20 years. And when I started, I, I, I've told people this many times, when I started, I used to, you know, the, the conversation used to be, please pick good friends. Like, your friends matter. And now that my conversation is, please, for the love of God, have friends. Like, go have friends. We really change. We talk about friendship all the time because it's so critical. And that's what we're going to see Jesus talk about today in this passage. So we're back in John 15. If you have your Bible, you're going to want to turn there. Um, we're in the middle of this, this conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples on the last night of his life before he goes to the cross. And some people call this a discourse on relationships. And the, the first chunk we looked at last week, and we saw that Jesus is talking about our relationship to him. Next week, we're going to look at Jesus talking about our relationship to the world. But today, in the middle, he talks about our relationship with each other, and he describes our relationship as friendship. The way that we're to be with one another in this world. And, and I gotta tell you, when, I, when we come across a morning like this, right? A morning where there seems to be this like crisis in our culture, this like really key moment in our culture that meets something that very specifically Jesus is talking about, I wanna sit up a little straighter. I want to listen a little more carefully because it seems these two things are converging in a perfect time because our culture is having this problem with loneliness and friendship and the absence of it. And Jesus is actually going to say this is critical to what it means to be my follower. And so I want to be listening a little carefully. And I just want to ask all of you right now, do you have ears to hear this morning? Are you ready to listen to what maybe Jesus might have to teach us or challenge us or comfort us or call us to someplace different as these two things come together this morning, this crisis in our culture and the teaching and wisdom of Jesus Christ. So let's read together in John chapter 15, uh, starting in verse 12. These are the words of Jesus. He's speaking. The Bible says this, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let me pray for us. God, I do ask that your Holy Spirit would give us um, ears to hear and eyes to see, and we might be blessed by the truth of your word this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So once again, as we've seen over and over and over in John, this, is a, this is, seems to be a short, plain statement that's just full of complexity and depth, and we're just not even going to get a chance to explore all of it. But we are going to explore this morning three key ideas. We're going to look at Jesus' commandment for friendship. We're going to look at Jesus' description of friendship, and we're going to look at Jesus' example of friendship. So Jesus' commandment for friendship, his command to be friends, his, uh, his description of what friends are, and then the example of his friendship for us. So let's dig right in and let's look at Jesus' command for friendship. Did you notice that this um, passage is framed by the word command? So if you write in your Bible, I encourage you to be someone who writes in their Bible, you would notice that we start in verse 12 
where Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another. And we end in verse 17 where he says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. And we even see that word show up one more time in verse 14 where he says, he says what? He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. We know that Jesus has already said this this very night, and we have it recorded. We've already talked about it back in John 13. Remember when he's washed the disciples' feet, and he's having a conversation with them, and he says what? He says, a new command I give you. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. He's already said this, and so he's saying it again, and it must be important to him to keep saying it. And let's notice that this is a command, and the word there, command, means exactly what you think it is, what it does. It means exactly what it is. It's a, it's a precept. It's a rule. It's a charge. It's an order. It's a directive. This is Jesus saying, here's what I need you to do. Here's what I expect you to do, and it's not arbitrary. I think sometimes when I hear command or I hear rules, I grew up where the teacher had like a big list of the rules on the wall, right? And I was like, I just kind of bristled at him. I'm like, oh, this rules. Why are those rules? And, uh, and sometimes I think we hear the word command and we think it's just a list of rules. But I tell you when my, my understanding of command expanded or my understanding of rules expanded. It was the first time I went white water rafting. If you've ever been white water rafting, I was in high school with a bunch of friends. We were somewhere in Tennessee, and we were white water rafting. And I was like, oh, cool, this is going to be great. Let's go white water rafting. And somewhere it clicks with you when you're putting on a helmet that, like, is this safe? Like, what? You know, and you're putting on a helmet, and then you, you hear them telling, like, always, oh, like, put your hand on the top of the oar so that you don't hit someone with it. And you're like, hit someone with it. And then the more you start going, you start realizing they're going to be giving you all these instructions that actually matter for, like, serious safety, right? And I remember, I remember when, like, the captain or, like, the guide on our little raft said, like, I'm going to tell you what to do, and you have to do it. You have to listen to me. You have to do exactly what I tell you to do. Why? Because you could die on the river, right? Because your life is in their hands, right? So, so when he says paddle on the right, the people on the right need to paddle. When he says back paddle over there, you guys need to back paddle. And you need to do exactly what the guide says, exactly what they said. Because why? Because they have the expertise. Because they have the experience. Because they have the responsibility, because they have the authority, because they have the knowledge to give us commands that are for our best. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I have the experience and the responsibility and the authority, and I'm telling you what's best for you in this situation, and here's what's best. Love one another. Here's what's best. Here's the command. Love one another. The command is for friendship, love, that may seem obvious, right? Because Jesus doesn't say, go fall in love with everyone, right? We live in a culture that tends to elevate what? Romantic love, right? We live in a culture that tends to throw love around. You know, we hand out hearts at Valentine's Day, and we, you know, watch TV shows and movies that are all about falling in love, and we don't see a, we don't see a ton of examples in our culture of friendship love, the kind of love that Jesus is talking about here, but this is what he's talking about. And, and we discuss it, you know, the Bible, of course, uses a metaphor of, of marriage to describe God's relationship to us. He's the bridegroom, we are the, the church is the bride, and then also uses the metaphor of family. Of course, God is our father, and we are his children, but far more often, the, the relationship that God desires with us is that we would be his friends. 
You can think about it all the time that it's, it's, it's shared in the Old Testament who was friends with God, right? So like um, Noah was friends with God, Moses was friends with God, Abraham was friends with God, that they saw each other face to face, that they walked together, that they shared community. And so Jesus, for him here to say like, you're my friends, he's saying, he's continuing this through line through scripture, which is that Jesus desires for us to be friends and the kind of love that we would demonstrate would be the love that characterizes friendship. The love that characterizes what it means for two people or more to be in a relationship, a voluntary relationship of affection. And we're going to explore more how Jesus is going to define it. But I want you to notice that his command is an ongoing command. So his command to love there, where it's kind of hidden in our English translation, but when, what he's saying here is, I'm commanding you that you keep on loving one another. The end. At the end, he says, these things I'm commanding you so that you will keep on loving one another, that love isn't just this kind of this one-time warm, fuzzy feeling that you might have for someone, but that there's an active choice to be made when we love and we have to keep choosing it over and over and over, that we would be people who choose to love one another. Love is acting in someone's best interest. Love is taking what's best for them into account. Love is looking out for someone else's needs. And we see that because if you look, again, if you're someone who writes in your Bible, you could look down at this passage and you could circle all the places the word you is in this passage. It's in here a million times. And I will tell you that every time the word you is in this passage, it is y'all. It is plural. It is for y'all. So you could read the first verse here. This is my commandment that y'all love one another as I have loved y'all. Right? This is something that we do together. This is a communal command that we would be people who are characterized by love for each other. And the implication of Jesus calling it a command is so important. Because if it's a command, then it's essential. If it's a command, it's mission critical. Here's what, here's what matters most, and think about how many times Jesus has said this, not just in the discourses of John 13 through 16, but think about how many times throughout the whole scripture we're told that love is the summary of what God wants from us. So what is the greatest commandment? That you love God and you love others. This is essential. This is what it means. This is at the core of what it means to live our lives as followers of Jesus in community, that we would love one another. It's part of our DNA here at Northminster, right? We say that we are going to connect in friendships that minister the love of Christ, that that's part of who we are, that we believe it's just so essential to what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that we would live lives characterized by love for one another in friendship. And if it's a command, it's not just essential. Listen to what it is. If it's a command, it's not just essential. You guys, it's hard. If, it's, if it were easy, Jesus wouldn't have to command us over and over to do it, right? The, the, the implication here is that this is going to be what? Difficult. This is going to be hard. That the kind of love God wants us to live out for one another is actually very, very hard. We all know this, right? We love the idea of loving people until we actually get around people. Right? It's like, oh, it's so warm and fuzzy. I love people until they cut me off when I'm driving and I don't love you anymore. Right? That we, we know what this is. And I think one of the greatest quotes I know about this is from Dostoevsky and the Brothers Karamazov. Listen to what he says. I love this. He says this, I love mankind, but I am amazed at myself. The more I love mankind in general, the less I love people in particular. <laughs> that is, individually as separate persons. In my dreams, I often went so far as to think passionately of serving mankind, and it may be I would really have gone to the cross for people if it were somehow suddenly necessary. And yet, 
I am incapable of living in the same room with anyone, even for two days. This I know from experience. As soon as someone is there close to me, his personality oppresses my self-esteem, restricts my freedom. In 24 hours, I can begin to hate even the best of men. One, because he takes too long eating his dinner. Another, because he has a cold and keeps blowing his nose. I become the enemy of people the moment they touch me. Anyone else? Like, help me out, because I feel so relatable to me, right? We love the idea of loving others until we're around others. And then we know it's hard. So let's look at Jesus' description of this friendship. What makes for a good friend? How does he describe his friendship? Well, let's work backwards. So, you know, we do this with our students a lot. Over the years, um, we've asked them many times, hey, describe what makes a good student or tell us how important friendship is to you or, or what makes a good friend and what, what makes a bad friend. And the same things come up all the time, right? Like a, a good friend is someone who's honest with you, who's loyal, who's willing to listen and spend time with you, who's full of drama, who's trustworthy. Um, a bad friend is someone who's lies and who's self-absorbed and who's disloyal, who talks behind your back, is fake, you know, stuff like that. All that stuff comes up over and over and over again. And we're actually going to see that Jesus has a remarkably similar answer, the description for what makes good and bad friendships. But let's explore exactly what he says in this text, but let's work from the bottom up. Look down at verse 16. What does Jesus say? He's talking about his disciples, his friends. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Here's the best definition I, I can come up with for friendship. It's just this, that friendship is a voluntary relationship of affection and loyalty. The friendship is a voluntary relationship. You choose to care about someone. You choose to be loyal to them. You choose to express love towards them, to be connected to them in a meaningful way. Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, is all over this, right? So Proverbs says in 17, 17, what? A friend loves at all times, right? Or Proverbs 18, 24, an unreliable friend will let you come to ruin, but There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, that there's something about this connection, this affection, this loyalty that defines friendship. And I'll tell you who does the best job of exploring this. If you want to know more, um, Timothy Keller just does such a good job. And you can find his sermons on friendship, I'm sure, on YouTube. I know they're on his um, podcast. And he just does a great job exploring the nature of friendship. But what I want to uh, emphasize here is that we choose our friends. You know, you didn't choose your family right? You kind of got stuck with them, right? And and we love our family, and it's great. And family is there when you need them, right? Uh, A brother is there when you you need them, but sometimes they don't like to hang out with you. Is that fair? (laughs) Right? Sometimes they'll be there when you need them, but they don't really want to go out to dinner every night and talk about life, right? But a friend is something different. A friend has chosen you. You have chosen them. Friendship says, like, I'm choosing to invest my life in another human being, just as Jesus has done here. We need these friends. We need loyalty and commitment and affection and voluntary relationships that remind us who we are and that remind us that we are, we are desirable people and we can be in relationships with others. And it's in, important for healthy human lives to have friendships, people that you choose to be around. But notice what else Jesus says about the description of friendship or the nature of friendship. Move a verse up. In verse 15, here's what he says. He says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. 
Here's what Jesus is saying. Do you say, you see what he's saying? He's saying there's a difference between being a servant and being a friend. And the difference between those two things is what? It's transparency. I'm telling you everything. I, I'm not holding anything back, Jesus says. I'm, I'm, I'm right here. You can, you can hear everything that's going on in my heart, in my mind, in my feelings. Jesus is saying, I've called you friends, and the reason you know that you're my friend is because I haven't held anything back. Everything that God has revealed to me, I am passing on to you. You don't have to guess at my motives. You don't have to guess at my thoughts. You don't have to guess at my feelings. or You don't have to wonder if I'm editing what's happening in my life. Jesus says, I have made myself available to you transparently and authentically and vulnerably. And can I just tell you, if I had to pick one thing today that I think we need to hear as a culture about friendship, it's this. You want to know how I know this? It's because I was a messy teenager. <laughs> was anyone else in here a messy teenager? Like, like, the embarrassing levels of mess in my bedroom growing up, right? And so I did this thing. Please tell me I'm not the only one. Like, if I thought someone was going to come over or, like, you know, heaven forbid a parent was going to come somewhere near my room, I did that thing where you take it all and you throw it in the closet, and then you uh, struggle to close the door and, like, clean, right? Or we all have a junk drawer at our house, right? We throw the junk in the drawer and close it, and there's the mess put away. And I think sometimes, you guys, can I just say, like, I think sometimes this is how we live our lives. We put all the uncomfortable stuff and all the awkward stuff, and all the stuff that makes us feel like maybe people might look at us differently or, or might not like us or might, you know, think something bad of us, and we take it and we put it in our metaphorical closets and we close the door and we go to the church and we smile and we say, hey, everyone, how are you? And the problem is, friendship is defined by its vulnerability, by its transparency. Jesus got in the mess with his disciples. He's already done it. Remember when he washed their feet? Remember what a scene that was? And I always think, when I think about Jesus washing his feet, it's this very night he's having this conversation that he washed their feet, and I always think about how he could have done that differently, right? I was thinking, if your disciples come into the room with dirty feet, you could be like, ew, right? Um, there's water and a towel over there. Could you guys go take care of that and then come back? Right? He could have done that. He could have said, look, I hired someone to wash your feet. Can you guys go over there? They're going to wash your feet. They're going to take it out. Or he could have said, you know what? I need some different friends because these guys have the dirtiest feet. Right? He doesn't do that. He, he gets in their mess, and you get the sense that it makes him uncomfortable, right? Because Peter's like, no, <laughs> like, don't wash my feet. Right? Don't look at my mess. Don't open the closet door and see everything that's there. And you guys teenagers are so much better at this than adults. You don't have to scratch the surface very far for a teenager to go, oh, I'm having the hardest week. We're like, ah, I'm really struggling, or this thing's falling apart, or the wheels are coming off. But we adults, we do a really good job of pretending. We do a really, really good job of taking our mess and putting it in the closet. But friendship, a community characterized by friendship, is about vulnerability. It's about being in each other's mess. You know why? Friendships are messy. And they're messy because people are messy. We have quirks, and we mess up, and we make mistakes, and sometimes we hurt people, and sometimes we say dumb things, and sometimes we isolate ourselves, and sometimes we just do things that make us like not cool human beings. But a community of friendship says, you know what? Your mess is safe here. I'm messy too. And so the whole thing about Jesus describing his friendship with them, not being like servants, is Jesus saying, look, I've made everything known to you. You know me. You know who I am. You got, so that we would be that kind of community. 
we allow ourselves to be known and vulnerable and transparent and authentic and that we would be a safe place for other people to be weak and quirky and struggling. Wouldn't that be great if we had that kind of friendship? There's one last way Jesus describes friendship. It's maybe the most famous way that he describes it. You guys know this in verse 13. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, you know who would disagree with Jesus? Whitney Houston. Do you guys remember that song? (laughs) Do you remember Whitney Houston's song, The Greatest Love of All? Does anyone remember what Whitney says the greatest love of all is? Learning to love yourself. It is the greatest love of all. Right, I remember singing that song with so much passion when I was like in fourth grade, <laughs> right? Singing along with Whitney. But Jesus says something totally different, right? For, for Jesus, the greatest love is not learning to love yourself. The greatest love is learning to love others so much that you're willing to lay down your own self for them. There's a lot implied here. What's implied is that love, friendship love, is self-sacrificing. That to have a friend, to be a friend, to be the kind of friend that Jesus wants us to be in community, that sometimes we're not going to get our way. That sometimes we're not going to get the thing that we want the most so that someone else can get what they want or need. To be in a community that's defined by this kind of self-giving and self-sacrifice means that we're a community that's defined by saying to other people, have your way. This is difficult. But look at Jesus' logic here. Jesus says in verse 14 that his friends will do what he commands. And then he tells us in verse 12 and verse 17 that what he commands is that we love one another. And then we're told in verse 13 that to love one another, we have to lay down our lives. And so it becomes that to be friends of Jesus means that we live this self-denial. That we live this self-sacrifice and this humility that laying down your life for your friends means putting what's best for them in front of what's best for you. Let me say it one more time. Laying down our lives for our community of friends means putting what's best for our community of friends above what's best for me. And I know this is hard because the truth is we have a lot harder time laying down a lot easier things. I think sometimes... We won't even lay down our preferences for one another. I think sometimes we won't even lay down our sense of comfort for one another. I think sometimes we won't lay down our pride for one another. Sometimes we won't lay down our schedules for one another. Sometimes we won't lay down our resources for one another. Sometimes we we don't lay down the easy things so that we could show love to one another. But here Jesus is reminding us that the kind of friendship and relationship he's calling us to in community is difficult. Loving a friend and loving a community of friends the way Jesus calls us to will be costly. You guys, I know we don't always get this right. We don't always get this right. But I want to try Right, the captain of the ship is telling me I have this command for you to, to, so you can live the best life so that we can make it down this river together so that my father will be glorified so that you'll bear much fruit. He's like, here's my command, so now love one another and here's what it is. It's really hard and it's costly. And that's the kind of friendship that he's talking about. But we're blessed because Jesus has given us the example of friendship. 
Jesus has given us the example of friendship. All of these things that we have talked about, he himself has lived out. Jesus has chosen you. Before the foundation of the world, he chose you to be his own. Before anything else, God looked at you and he said, I want her, I want him, I need them in my family. And he chose you before you had done anything to earn it or you'd done anything to lose it. Jesus' love and grace comes to us. And by the way, he has shown intense loyalty to us. He stays with us. He promises to never let us go. He promises to never abandon us. He promises that he will always show us what the best way is. He's promised, just ask me, he says, and I will give you wisdom. Ask me for what you need. I am here. I'm giving you the very Holy Spirit so that you can live the way that I've called you to live in this world. I am your friend. And finally, what does he do? He lays down his very life for us. Romans 5.8, you know, God demonstrates his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you guys know what that means? It means Jesus was the example of radical friendship. Because here's what he said. Listen, here's what he said. He said, I would rather die than lose my friends. That's what the cross says. The cross is Jesus saying, I would rather die. I would rather give up my very life than lose my friends. And so he goes to the cross and he suffers and he dies so that we would be with him forever. And when we struggle with friendships, and what it means to be friends, we look to him and his example who didn't hold back his very life but gave himself for us.